Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20. As we move through our series in the book as a whole, we will finish the Ten Commandments on the Tenth Commandment, which is in verse 17. If you do not have a Bible, one should be near you, in front of you. This is found on page 61 in that Bible. Exodus, chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The grass withers, the flowers fade. The word of our God will stand forever. As we finish the Ten Commandments, we end on one that gets to the heart of the matter for all of the rest of them. It has to do with our deepest desires. There once was a man. He had a large family. He had a lot of property. He had a successful business. He was very wealthy in many ways. One day a man came to him, told him that robbers had come and struck down his servants. At the same time, Another man came and said, a fire had consumed all of his sheep and his other servants. At the same time, another man came and said, raiders came, took all of his camels, struck down his servants. Another came, said a house just fell on all of his sons and daughters. They were all killed. This is the life of Job. Who in a day had lost everything but his own wife. He was challenged in that moment about where his true desires reside. What makes him truly content in life? As in a matter of hours, everything was taken away which could happen to anybody, and has happened indeed to many. Following the catechism, the outline this morning is what is forbidden regarding our desires and contentment. Then we will look at what is commanded regarding our desires and contentment, and how do we live in a world that is completely discontent. What is forbidden regarding our desires and contentment? We would ask this morning, Well, discontentment with myself and with my neighbor. Larger Catechism 148 says, The sins forbidden in the Tenth Commandment are discontentment with our own estate, envying and grieving at the good of our neighbor. St. Augustine defined covetousness as to desire more than enough. To desire more than enough. That's the American dream, isn't it? That, that's the American way, some would say, looking at our culture. There's an embedded, heart-bent selfishness that this commandment is addressing. But firstly, we aren't content with our own estate. 
Catechism says. We can say, we don't like our possessions. I don't like my house. I don't like my clothes. I don't like my car. I don't like my job. I don't like my family. I don't like my friends. I don't like my income. I don't like the way I look. I don't like my intelligence or lack thereof. I don't like much about myself, about my circumstances, about what the Lord has not provided for me. You can ask many of your own questions. But that's where it starts. The, the covetousness, the desire for more than I have, for more than I need, for more than what I have been given by God, who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. It starts in my own heart with a lack of contentment with my own estate, with what I don't have. But then, brothers and sisters, it spreads. Because what, what happens in our own hearts when we have discontent? Because what am I comparing myself to? You. Anybody that's around me. To the point to where the larger catechism says I envy. And I even grieve at your good. Because I want it. And I don't have it. And you might say, what? What am I grieving about? What do I really want? Well, you, you know as well as I do that you could just fill in the blank. And the sadness in our own sinful hearts is that if I actually do get it, what's going to happen then? There's going to be somebody else that, that has even more. That's, that's got a better house, better car, better income. I, I learned this in sports because I was okay in sports, middle school and in high school, especially around here. Then what happened when I went to college? Wasn't so good. Bigger, better, faster, way stronger than me. There's always going to be something that we don't have. There's always going to be somebody else that has more. And therefore, there's a restlessness. And this is very serious. Paul says in Romans 1, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil covetousness, malice. He says in Ephesians 5 to another church, in verse 3, Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Shouldn't even be named, much less found evidence of in the covenant community. Sexual immorality and impurity are, are covetousness. What we're talking about this morning, it shouldn't even be named. We shouldn't see evidence of it. 
But we remember Achan in Joshua chapter 7, who stole, which we've already covered that commandment. But in Achan's own confession of his sin, he says in Joshua 7.21, I coveted them and took them. It started in the heart. A proper heart analysis has got to be done. Firstly, on our own estate, why am I so discontent with myself? Once you start there, you start to realize that the thread, it just gets tangled into all of my other relationships with all of my neighbors. I don't even have to know people. I can just see someone. I, I wish I had that. I wish they didn't have that. I want it. I need it. But it goes even further, as all these commandments do, to, to, to go beyond just discontentment with our stuff or somebody else's, but impure desires generally. Heidelberg Catechism 113. What is God's will for you in the Tenth Commandment? That not even the slightest desire or thought contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our hearts. Rather, with all our hearts, we should always hate sin and delight in all righteousness. Paul again says in Colossians 3.5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. This is, this is going beyond just me wanting someone else's car or house, or spouse, or family, or anything. It's going down deep into our hearts to say, what's going on that I would want anything against any of His commandments? Because the breaking of any of the other commandments involves this one. It's all intertwined. Larger Catechism 148, together with all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is our neighbor's, any desire that's against neighbor, any desire that's discontent with, with myself. Kevin DeYoung says the command not to covet is actually the practical summation and heart level culmination of the other nine commandments. Puritan Thomas Watson says, Covetousness is a mother's sin of radical vice. It breaks all the Ten Commandments. There's a particular reason why this one's the last one. Not because it's the least important. But even if you were looking at a very surface level, reading very quickly over the other nine commandments, you would say, well, I haven't stolen something today. I haven't committed adultery. You know, I, I, I'm doing okay. You get to the tenth one, no one does well. Of course, we've been learning in the other Ten Commandments, no one does well on any of them. But this one trips it up, sums everything up, to deal with the idolatrous heart. What's at the root of that? What's at the root of the Tenth Commandment and all the other commandments? Paul Tripp, in a counseling setting, 
I was talking to a lady once who recounted a story in her church, which is very common. Uh, this lady in the church had been uh, praying for something that she was wanting to happen in her life. And it, it did, in fact, come about. And so her response was, praise the Lord with me that he's answered the prayers, that he's, he's done this for me. He's been with me. He's with me. He's present. But God answering our prayers and how we would like him to answer them is not evidence of his presence. He can be present even in our disappointments. And in fact, our job as elders and deacons is to sit with people who hurt and encourage them of God's presence even when we don't see it or necessarily feel it in the moment. But we can only do that if we believe that's possible. That's what's actually occurring in our own personal lives to begin with. Tripp goes on. He says, Could it be that we are most excited about God's presence in our lives when He has met a physical need or delivered to us something that we want? Could it be that there are ways in which God has been reduced from the one that we love to the deliverer of the thing that we love? What a, a diagnostic question to ponder this afternoon. Do I love the Lord? Or do I love what He gives me? If He gives it to me. Is my love of Him based on what I think He owes me. Because, brothers and sisters, what's going to happen when it's not given? Or when it's taken away? The idolatry is exposed and we are undone. But what's commanded? Regarding our desires and contentment in this 10th commandment, acceptance through contentment of mine and my neighbor's estate. Larger Catechism 147. The duties required in the 10th commandment are such a full contentment with our own condition and such a charitable frame of the whole soul toward our neighbor as that all our inward motions and affections touching him tend unto and further all that is good which is His. Meaning the selfishness is stripped away from my idolatrous heart where I actually am okay and content with everything that I am, with what I have. I don't have to need your stuff either. My desires are actually changed to where I can move on from pure selfishness all the time to actually wanting your good and your prosperity rather than what is yours. Because I've learned to realize that idolatry is the undoing of me. And nothing, all the other things and all the other stuff in this world won't actually fix my heart and make me whole. 
C.S. Lewis in the book Four Loves puts it like this. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because they cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. We're chasing each other's stuff. We're chasing the betterment of ourselves, just the accumulation of things. And Lewis is right to say all that stuff is not actually great. It's an illusion. It's never going to be enough. It's all a lie. It's not going to make you whole. We don't actually want what God wants us to have. We want what He hasn't given. But all of our desires are not coveting. We could name several. If you want to be married, if you would like to have children, if you would like to be freed from temptation, if you are grieving loss or lamenting affliction, these are godly desires. They can easily be bent or turned in the wrong direction towards selfishness and discontentment or wanting what isn't ours. But the mere desire, we we were built with these desires. They are good. They can be turned away from the Lord. Kevin DeYoung helps us a little bit more thinking through contentment. What would it look like? I'm willing to not hurt you to get more for myself. I'm not preoccupied with accumulating and making more. I'm willing to give up what I have. I'm not frequently grumbling about my own estate. If that's true, then you're growing in contentment. And you are doing what is commanded in this commandment. Several other things from a Puritan named Jeremiah Burroughs. A man who learns how to be full uses his possessions, but is still able to deliver himself from the evil of the temptations that accompany his fullness. And oh, they are many. When his fullness leads him to the source of his fullness, that is when his grace leads him to God, who gave us all the stuff. If he knows how to make use of his worldly comforts, yet is able to do so in such a way that he is not hindered by the afflictions or troubles that go along with those comforts, because all creature comforts are mingled with trouble. And finally, a man has learned how to abound if he knows his own heart in the midst of his abundance. Because prosperity could be our undoing because we so identify with it. I am this business person. I am this person who owns this. If I lose it, who am I? Well, we're not our stuff. We're not our career. We're not our address. Who are we? None of those things. Well, we're commanded 
to have satisfaction with Christ and His calling for us. Heidelberg Catechism again, 113. What is God's will for you in the Tenth Commandment? With all our hearts, we should always hate sin and delight in all righteousness. How can we do this? Well, Paul is instructive here again in Philippians 4, where he says this familiar passage, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. He answers the question there at the end. How can this apostle be shipwrecked, be betrayed, be nearly stoned to death as basically a pastor church planter for the sake of the Lord and keep his head above water without hating his neighbor, without hating the Lord himself? It's through the strength of the Lord who has saved him from all of his covetousness. The answer to all of this is to have ultimate satisfaction, not in someone else or in the stuff or in what we're not or what we are, but in someone else entirely. Jesus became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He did that by going to the cross to pay for all of the things that you have coveted over. And you have received mercy and forgiveness for those things. You have recognized He is better than life. Having Him is better than stuff. He's the one who gave you everything. He's worth committing to. He's worth following. As our hearts are captivated more and more by the gospel, what begins to happen? We want to follow Him. We want to obey Him in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Friends, seek first the kingdom of God. Not stuff. Not someone else's things. They're not going to satisfy you. He will. Seek Him first. Everything else that you need will be added to you. What is another helpful resource? Matthew chapter 6, he continues, Give. All that you have is not yours. It's actually His. He's given it to you to steward. Give some of it away. You don't need all the stuff. As I'm saying before every worship service, the Lord asks us to change our lifestyle. The participation in this church family, in time, in talent, in money, should affect our lifestyle. Because His was affected. And he says, seek me first and trust me with everything else. And everything else will be added to you. So therefore, 
Diagnose your own heart idol. Is it comfort? Wealth? Security? None of these things can be found outside of Him. The culture lies to us. But finally, friends, how do we live this out in a culture, and a context which is bent on discontent and actually profiting from you being discontent? Firstly, repent of your coveting. The catechism continues after the Ten Commandments. Is, there, is man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? No man is able, either of himself or by any grace received in this life perfectly, to keep the commandments of God, but to daily break them in thought, word, and deed. We've come to the end of the commandments. We recognize, friends, you don't keep them. Repent. Humbly go before the Lord and ask for forgiveness. As Job 31 says, if I have made gold my trust or called fine gold my confidence, if I've rejoiced because my wealth was abundant or because my hand had found much, if I have looked at the sun when it is shown or the moon moving in splendor and my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges for I have been false to God alone. Repent. Own up. But you want something before you want the Lord. But secondly, praise Him. After repentance, praise Him. You heard me read from Job chapter 1 at the beginning when he lost everything. What did he do? He arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I pray that that is true for all of us. If at some point in our life the Lord chooses to take away, because He's not going to take away His presence, which is what we need most. He may take everything else away. He won't take that. Worship is key. What are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us His benefits? The outward and ordinary means are His ordinances, but especially word, sacrament, and prayer. Friends, that's what we do every Sunday. After repentance, if you want to be refreshed in the gospel, and if you want medicine for your hearts, word, prayer, and sacrament, and this gathering, the best way to start the week where we will fight coveting for six days. Finally, prayer. Out of our catechism says, why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. Thank Him. For everything we have is His. Given to us as a gift. Chiefly, His own Son. One of the the best preachers in the Memphis metro area in my lifetime 
I know it's not me, was Sandy Wilson at Second Prez. He preached on Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And he said, if I have Christ, I can lose. I can lose my stuff. I can lose my life. I can lose the lives of those I love. Because if I have Christ, then to die is gain. Let that transform our discontent hearts. Let us pray together. Lord Christ, we thank you that you have come in our midst. We thank you that you have died for our sins, chiefly that of not desiring you first, but everything that you've created instead. We seek you first. Help us in our discontentment that we might even be a light to those who are discontent around us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.